Well, good evening, everyone. I'm used to saying uh, good morning when I stand up in front of the sanctuary, but uh, I have I have had the opportunity to give a message uh, one other time for Sunday evening church, and I'm going to be preaching uh, out of the same book that I did the first time. Uh, the first time I taught on one verse, and it was in Deuteronomy 4, and tonight we are going to be in Deuteronomy 6. And I like to read from Deuteronomy when I know that my audience has children or grandchildren, uh, because Deuteronomy focuses a lot not just on what your own personal duty is in your faith, but also what your duty is to your sons and their sons. Deuteronomy has a very generational view in mind. And it should, because Deuteronomy is Moses renewing the covenant with the new generation. When, when we open the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 1, 40 years have passed of wandering in the wilderness. And that first generation that received the law from Mount Sinai has all died off because they refused to go into the promised land on the command of the Lord. And so the Lord sent them to wander for 40 years until they all died off. So Deuteronomy starts with Moses addressing the people because Moses doesn't get to go in the promised land himself. So this is his address to the next generation. This is his address to those who were children when he first began the wilderness wanderings. And so it has a focus on sons and their sons. It has a focus on the coming generations, that the commandments they'll receive and the covenant they make isn't just for them. The current generation has a responsibility to the next. And as we're going to see in Deuteronomy 6, this responsibility largely boils down to one thing. The most important thing to pass down to the next generation is love for and devotion to the Lord. That is the most important thing you can pass down to the next generation. So when we get into Deuteronomy 6, something I want you to notice is that Deuteronomy 5 comes before it. And I make this point because something very important happens in Deuteronomy 5. Does anyone know what happens in Deuteronomy 5? That is very important when it comes to the renewal of the covenant. Ten Commandments are given again. The first time they're given, it's Exodus 20 on Mount Sinai. The second time they're given is Deuteronomy 5. So the Ten Commandments have just been given. And so Moses, in renewing the covenant, is giving the rules of the covenant again. And we're told in Deuteronomy that if Israel obeys, if they keep the covenant, they will receive blessing. That's Deuteronomy 27 to 30. And if they disobey, if they break the covenant, they will receive cursing. That's Deuteronomy 27 to 30. And so Deuteronomy 6 picks up where the people stopped listening when they were at Mount Sinai. If you remember when the people first came to the mountain, they heard the Ten Commandments and they made their pledge to the Lord that they would obey them. And then they told Moses please go speak to the Lord on our behalf because if we keep hearing his voice, we will die. 
In other words, they left the conversation and Moses goes up to the mountain and he receives additional commandments. He receives additional words. And so what Deuteronomy 6 is, is Moses basically filling them in on what he heard on Mount Sinai when their fathers stepped back from the mountain and no longer wanted to hear directly from the voice of the Lord. So we're going to start with verses 1 to 3. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So the commands that Moses is about to give them, it is good for them to obey these. It is good for them to obey these commands. One, it will produce the fear of the Lord, which, by the way, is the beginning of wisdom, not just in them, but in their sons and in their grandsons. Those generations that are going to inherit the promised land. Additionally, it will prolong their days, both individually as a person and nationally, as a country of the people of God. And it will cause them to be a nation of many people. They will have many sons, they will have many daughters, many grandsons, many granddaughters. So, What Moses is about to tell them, it is very good for them to obey. And this is what Moses tells them, verse 4 to verse 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. They learn something very important about their God, about Yahweh. Not only is he their God, he is the only God. They, they do not have a pantheon like their neighbors do. Other uh, civilizations at this time had many, 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 many different gods that covered all kinds of topics. Israelites don't have those. Israelites have the one true God. And he is alone. He is God. And their response to this, their response to verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one should be complete and total devotion to him. That's verse five. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Constant meditation on and obedience to what he has said. That's verses six to nine. And a constant teaching of them to their family. That's verse seven. And if Deuteronomy 6, 5 sounds familiar, Uh, It's because Jesus names this as the greatest commandment. Uh, This is the greatest commandment according to Jesus Christ. 
when he's in Matthew 22, 37, for example, when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? This is what he replies with. It is Deuteronomy 6, 5. God is owed complete and total devotion because he alone is God. And that is something that I, I think we, we tend to forget sometimes that we should love the Lord your God because he loves us or because he is merciful to us or because he is gracious to us or because he is creator. The reason that they are told to devote their whole life to God and to love the Lord their God above everything else is simply because he is God. So he deserves it. It, it doesn't matter what kind of a God he is. Now, we know he is a God who is loving and merciful and gracious and kind and just and righteous and holy and all of these things. But because he is God, he is worthy of total devotion. And this is what they learn. He is owed complete and total devotion because he is God. And that is their command in verse 5. And then verses 8 and 9 They have the command of bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, people don't really know what Moses had in mind when he was saying that. Uh, If you, you can see some Jews even to this day took this literally and you will see them with boxes. They will have boxes around their heads that rest on their uh, foreheads. They will have boxes that go around their hands. Uh, They will have boxes on the doorposts of their house. And in these boxes are little pieces of paper, little scrolls, and they have certain sections of the law of God written on them. That's one way that some people think Moses meant it. Like, this is literally what you are supposed to do. The other way some people interpret it is that Moses was using more figurative language, that, that the word of God should be constantly meditated on it should be constantly in your mind you should be constantly reminded of it it should be what dictates your actions what dictates what you do with your hands it should be everywhere in your house in other words that it is you are being constantly reminded of and you are constantly thinking on and you are constantly acting in accordance with the word of god and some others think that Moses is actually taking a practice they already had and he's elevating it to a better purpose. Because in Egyptian uh, religion, which is where these people have come from, they had a habit of wearing uh, bracelets and necklaces and uh, headbands with certain stones in them that were designed to show loyalty and worship to certain gods. And so this could very well be a practice that the Jews would have been familiar with and Moses is taking that pagan practice and he's elevating it to now work for the Lord, the one true God. But regardless of how you're supposed to take it, the point is the same. Because the Lord is our God, we should be wholly devoted and love the Lord our God and his words should be constantly before us. And it's not always going to be easy to do this. It's not always going to be easy to give this wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And that is where we get to verses 10 to 19. So verse 10. So after all of these commands of of what you are supposed to do, we get to verse 10. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, 
great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn sisters which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery." You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. And I'm going to stop there. So there are three threats that Moses identifies that will drag them away from this wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And the first is prosperity. The first threat is that when the Israelites enter into the promised land and they conquer and they take and they take the stuff that's already there and they begin to enjoy it, that they are going to start to think that it's all because of them that this happened. They're going to come to houses they did not build. They're going to eat from the produce of vineyards that they did not plant. They're going to enjoy the things that were in the houses that they did not put in there. And they're going to sit back and they're going to relax in their prosperity. And they are going to be grateful to themselves because they have done it. The work of my hands has brought this. Not the Lord God has given this to me. Look what I did. Look what I conquered. Look what I gained. And this is really the, th- the same threat that we have uh, in America, especially in such a prosperous country, that we are going to look at all that we have and we're going to begin to think, ah, look at what all that I did, not, oh, look at what the Lord has given to me. So the first threat that will pull them away from their devotion to the Lord is prosperity. The second threat is idolatry. That's in verses 13 to 15. And again, this is another threat that Americans face today. Whether the idol is wealth, whether the idol is pleasure, whether the idol is a political party, whether the idol is some kind of other belief system, our Lord is worthy of fear and devotion and love because he alone is God and he is a jealous God. It is the same kind of jealousy a husband would have for a wife or a wife would have for a husband. That we as Christians are his people and we belong to him and him alone and he should not have to share us because it would be wrong for him to share us as our husband and we as the bride of Christ. So the second threat for the Israelites and the second threat for us when it comes to our wholehearted devotion to the Lord is idolatry. It's this elevation of something else in the place of God that dictates how we act and how we think and how we feel. And the third temptation is testing the Lord. This is in verse 16. And this is something that the Israelites were known for. Uh, The Israelites tested the Lord constantly. And the reference here is, as you tested him at Massa. That's in verse 16. That's referring to Exodus 17, where the people are in the wilderness, there's no water around, and they start grumbling at Moses. And they start picking a fight with Moses. 
And they start charging Moses, saying, you brought us out here to kill us by thirst. It would be better if we had never left Egypt. And they grumble and they complain and they attack God's man to the point where they literally ask, is the Lord even here? Is the Lord with us? Is the Lord among us or not? And this is something that we can fall prey to when things go wrong as believers. If the Lord was here, this wouldn't be happening. Or this must just be something outside of the Lord's plan for it to happen because there's no way he could have foreseen this happening. Or it doesn't feel like the Lord is here, so he must not be here. This must be something that he did not see, that he has no hand in. Where is the Lord? Is he even here? Is he even listening? Is he even near? And that is the third temptation, is that instead of being wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, we begin charging the Lord with failing because life gets hard and because life gets dark. And that is not what we are told to do. Verses 4 to 9 tells us what we are to do. And then verses 17 to 19 continue. You should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give your fathers by driving out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. Instead of falling into these temptations, because we should be wholly devoted to the Lord and wholly loving the Lord our God, we faithfully obey. We do what is right, we do what is good, and this diligent obedience spills into every area of our life. Our finances, our family, our work, our leisure time, our marriage, everything is affected by this diligent obedience. And when, when the Israelites enter into the promised land, when they defeat their enemies, when they drive out their enemies, when they enjoy the cities and the cisterns and the vineyards and all of the good things, when they partake of the blessings that the Lord has been promising them since the time of Abraham, they have a responsibility that goes beyond themselves. And that's in verses 20 to 25. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes. To fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. If the Israelites are lovingly devoted to their God, it should affect the way they live. It should affect the way they raise their children. It should affect the way they manage their household. It should affect how they plan and what their weekly schedules are. It should be noticeable to their children from a young age. 
because the generations to come won't remember Sinai. They weren't there. The generations to come won't remember the wilderness wanderings. The generations to come won't remember the slavery in Egypt. So when their children see their wholehearted devotion to the Lord, they're going to ask, what does this all mean? Why are you doing this? Why do we do this? Why do we rest on the seventh day? Why do we go to the temple and sacrifice an animal? Why do we do these things? And the answer is in verses 22 to 25. And to kind of sum it up, we were once slaves in Egypt, but God, Yahweh, has saved us by his wonderful strength and miraculous power to faithfully fulfill his promise to us. All these commandments, all these things that we do, were given by the very same God for our good and our survival so that we may live rightly before him. And when you live wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, Jesus Christ, when it affects your plans and your week and your children ask, why do we go to church? Why do we give to missionaries? Why do we give to such and such an organization? When they ask, what does all this mean? Well, the answer is similar. I was once a slave to sin, but God has miraculously saved me by his son, Jesus Christ, that he faithfully promised when he promised he was going to send a savior. And so I do all of these things. We go to church. We go to Wednesday night stuff. We go to church events. We go out on ministry. We give money to ministries, whatever it may be. Out of a love for him. To live a life pleasing to him and for our good. And so your faith in Jesus Christ, your love for God, it isn't just for you. It is meant to be a shining light for others. Just as Israel's wholehearted devotion and wholehearted love should have been a shining light to the other nations around them. And so the most important thing to pass down to those after you is love for and devotion to the Lord. That they love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might. See, the Bible understands the importance of one generation passing that down to the next generation. Because all it takes is one generation to slip up and everything gets ruined. And you see this when you go from Joshua to Judges. Because in the first two chapters of Judges, we learn that Joshua and all his generation died and then everyone did what was right in the sight of, the, of themselves. There was no king at the time. And when you read the book of Judges and you see the absolute depravity that they get into, you realize that the problem all started because one generation was unfaithful to the next. They did not pass this down. And so when we are told to be a light to the world, when we are told to evangelize and go out across the street to the stranger or, go, or we are called to another country, to preach the gospel and to share the gospel, when we are encouraged time and time again to take the word and be a witness, the most immediate people that you get to be a witness to are the people in your family. And I know that some of you, uh, the time for training up your child in the way he should go has passed. Uh, 
But they are still your children. They are still your grandchildren. And if the Lord has blessed you, they are still your great-grandchildren. And while your faith has immense benefits to you, you also have a responsibility as the previous generation to make sure that the love and devotion of the Lord, to the Lord that you have is inherited by your children and is inherited by your grandchildren to pass down the faith you have to them that they might come to fear the Lord and observe his commandments that they might come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is why I like going to the book of Deuteronomy. Because pretty much any time the people are being commanded, there is always that reminder that, yes, it is good for you to keep these commandments and to live a life in accordance with these commandments, but that doesn't end with you. Because when you live a life of love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is going to get to your children. And they will see you as an example. And they will love and devote themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ as you raise them up. And then that generation will pass it on to the next and to the next and to the next. And you will have a generational faith where you, as a Christian, are able to share the gospel with some of the people most important to you, family members. Uh, And that doesn't even usually require, for quite a while, you even crossing the street. It It is the people in your So the most important thing to pass down to those after you is a love for the Lord and a devotion to the Lord, that they will love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for all of those who made it out this evening. I thank you uh, for all of the faithful lives that are here, Christians who are hungry to hear from your word, Christians who desire to learn from your word. And I thank you for the faith of everyone in here. I thank you for the families of everyone in here. I thank you that you have blessed many of them with children, with grandchildren. And I pray that as they enjoy those things, because they are blessings from the Lord, that they also remember their responsibility in their faith. That they, in living out their faith day to day, should be making sure that they are passing down that faith to their children, that love of the Lord to their children. So that their children can come to fear you, come to obey your commandments, come to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, And that the next generation may pass that down to the generation after them. And that even when all of us here are long in glory, if you tarry, that the lives that we lived are still having an impact generation after generation after generation after us because we were wholly devoted to you. Help us to love you above everything else. Help us to devote our lives to you above everything else. And help us to see our family members as more than just our loved ones, but as a mission field, especially if there are those who do not know you as Lord and Savior. And encourage us to take those opportunities to share our faith with them so that they may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.